12 verses 1 to 3. So glad you made it here tonight. And uh, if you're joining us by way of live stream, we're so thankful for you to be here. want to preach a message tonight, which I've entitled The Christian in Israel. And I have six statements, biblical statements from scripture. I'm going to very, as always, rely heavily on the scripture. But this is going to be much, much less of my comments and much more just strictly of the scripture. And what a biblical perspective for a Christian ought to be on the nation of Israel. And I will make some comments and uh, share some of, some of my reasons. And I trust that this will help you uh, to form your own biblically based convictions on uh, how you ought to think towards uh, Israel. If you look with me in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God is holding conversation with Abram. The Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. You see, it is claimed by many in the Middle East that Israel should not be a recognized nation. But God said, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. My first statement tonight is this. Biblical statement is this. God blesses those who pray for Israel's prosperity. The word curse, when God says, I will curse, it is a very strong word. We don't really actually have quite the same nuance uh, in, in our vocabulary, but this is a, a very vehement, a very strong word. The idea is to bitterly curse. God is saying, I am putting a, a, a bitter curse upon those who, and the other word curse, Israel, is a, a, the, the definition really is to esteem lightly or to treat in a trifling, contemptuous way. Now, the word bless, the root word means to kneel, and it means to praise or to bless. So in this passage, when God says, I will bless those who bless thee, the idea is of asking in prayer God's blessing upon the nation of Israel and praying well and and desiring God's blessing and prosperity on his people Israel. And there's strong warning that those who curse, those who treat flippantly, carelessly, disrespectfully, the people of Israel are messing with God. And he will bitterly curse those who oppose Israel. Psalm 122 in verse 6, the Bible commands, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Did you hear that last part? They shall prosper that love thee. I understand that because this country was founded on biblical principles and because there's always been a strong remnant of true born-again Bible-believing people within the United States that God has blessed our nation. But I believe equally important for us to recognize is that one of the reasons that God has blessed and continues to bless this nation is that our country, our nation has stood with Israel. And we need to continue to stand with Israel. And even if our country doesn't, we as individual Christians should. Barnhouse was a British theologian. 
and he makes this observation from history. When the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation after the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell after the pogroms. Hitler's Germany went down after its orgies of anti-Semitism. Britain lost her empire when she broke her faith with Israel. Do you notice a consistent theme in the way that God deals with nations? Has not the scriptures told us that God raises up kings and he casts down kings? He raises up nations and he casts down nations. Absolutely. And so God blesses those who pray for Israel's prosperity. I can remember uh, in our family devotions growing up, my dad quoting Psalm 122.6 and us praying for Israel's prosperity. And, uh, and I believe that that is something that we ought to do as well, to pray for Israel, God's blessing on them. Number two, I want you to see that God established Israel as a nation. Now, the other verses should be up on this display screen because we're going to go to a bunch of different places in scriptures tonight. Um, so I don't expect you to, to turn to them. You're, you're welcome to. It, it may be more beneficial for you if you're just going to take notes and write down the references so you can go back and review them. In Genesis 48, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and make of thee a multitude of people that could also be translated a nation. And I will give, listen to this, and I will give this land, where was he at the time? He was in the promised land. Did he, did he own it then? Was that ful promise fulfilled within his lifetime? No, but he's speaking to Joseph. He said, God promised me the, the land of Canaan to our descendants as a great nation. There are people who say that Israel should not be a nation, nor should they own any land, that they should not be a sovereign nation over that specific region uh, that we know as Israel. That goes in counter to the clear statement that God makes here and his promise to Jacob. I will give you this land, this inheritance for, look at this, for an everlasting possession. Would that include today? Will that include the future? Absolutely it does. Even if you look back in Genesis chapter 12 in our text, what did Abram say? I will make of thee a great what? Nation. God established Israel and has established them as a nation. Third, God gave Israel the promised land. This is important because for years, those who are Israel's enemies want them to yield up all of their land to lay no claim as a sovereign nation to the property, the actual physical property of Israel. I will not get into the history of when Israel became a nation in 1948 and all the hard work that cell groups did of Jews all over the land to recover the land. It was devastated. It was wasted. And yet Israel came in and they worked really hard. Isn't it interesting when you fix something up and now somebody else wants it? They didn't want it before. It was a piece of junk. But you say, I'll take it. And then you fix it up. And then guess what? Oh, wait, that's mine. And that is a very brief history lesson on what happened in that region when Israel began to recover the promised land. But we know it wasn't just given to them um, under the auspices of the British Empire. We know that's part of the history of how that took place. 
We know that God has given them this and God's providence rules sovereignly throughout all of history and among nations. God gave Israel the promised land. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, the Bible declares this. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, listen to this, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Sounds pretty clear to me, doesn't it, to you? Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun. What is the great sea going down? The Mediterranean Sea. What lies between Israel right now and the Mediterranean Sea? Gaza Strip. Who really has the right to that land? Israel does. And even to the north, they have not taken their full possession because the nation of Israel does not go all the way up to the Euphrates River. I believe someday, in the millennial reign of Christ, when Israel is restored, this exact description of this land is going to be Israel's sovereign domain under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Israel has sought for peace with her neighbors. Matter of fact, I'm going to read another passage of Scripture in Judges chapter 11 that shows that even in, early, in, in Israel's earliest days, they sought for uh, a peaceful resolution even with their enemies. And the reason that the Gaza Strip exists is because Israel gave up some of that land in order to sue for peace. And by the way, they were living in pretty good harmony with the people of Gaza until these terrorists have come in, Hamas and other groups as well. And we know that these terrorists have an evil plan to use innocent civilians as human shields to try to protect themselves from just retaliation and justice by a sovereign nation. I was thinking about this this afternoon, and I'm, I, I know I'm kind of going off on a rabbit trail, okay? So if I start going off too, too, too long, you know, start tapping your watches, you know, and that sort of a thing, let me know I'm going off a little bit long. But when Israel has fought for their land, they did it under God's authority then they reclaimed it later they've always had to fight for their survival but they have always sought for peaceful means and israel has made many compromises but when you make compromises with an insatiable enemy uh, that no compromise will be good enough you remember some of you can remember back to the communist regime and under the communist rule, what did the communists want to do at the time? They wanted to take over the world, did they not? They wanted communism to be a one world government. And I believe that there are still a, a number of people within the communist parties and nations around the world that would like to see that happen. I really do. But you know what? God ultimately protects from that and God has protected and God has sustained Israel from great harm. As we go back to our passage in Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to make sure I finish this passage before I go any further. 
Look what God promises to Joshua. He says, there shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And about seven years after this statement, God had Joshua do this exactly. And one of the laws we know that God said to the families within Israel is do not give up permanently the land of your inheritance. You remember Naboth? Naboth had a vineyard, right? Who wanted that vineyard? King Ahab did. Naboth wouldn't sell. I mean, and Ahab Ahab said, look, I'll pay you any price. Name the price. You know, I'll write you a blank check, fill in the amount. Or um, if you'd rather just trade, look, I've got some some beautiful premium property in different places throughout Israel. I'll trade you. I just want this because it's right next to my palace grounds. And Naboth would not do it. Why would he not do it? Because he was obeying the command of the Lord not to give away or to sell his heritage. And neither should Israel sell their heritage today. Listen to this in Joshua chapter 11. It was one of the judges in Israel. And he writes this. Then here he says this. Then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray, pass thee through thy land. Now he's recounting when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're coming through the land of Edom, and they send messengers to the king of Edom. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereunto. And in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent. In both of those instances, when the kings of these two countries said, no, you cannot pass through our land, Israel did not take up arms and say, okay, we'll just conquer you and take you over. That's not what Israel did. They went another way. They were seeking a peaceful resolution. Then they went along, and Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness, encompassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. They went around. They did not go through. They did not attack. They did not flaunt. Um, or go against the wishes of these kings. They had communicated with them. They had asked permission. They were not granted permission, but those kings did not come out against them, nor did they go out against those kings. They were seeking a peaceful resolution. Then the Bible says, they came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said unto him, let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast, But Sion gathered all his people together and pinched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. These other two kings said, no, you can't come in. This king said, not only that, I'm going to wipe you guys out. Okay? He treated him as an enemy. He sought a violent means to, to the solution. And the Lord of God delivered, of his, Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites. They didn't go after a conquest and say, hey, that looks like some good land. I think we'll just conquer it. It was that they were attacked, unprovoked. You remember on October 17th of this year that Hamas, in an unprovoked way, surprise attacked Israel, did they not? You know, it reminded me of FDR's speech after Pearl Harbor was attacked. When he said that the empire of Japan has, in an unprovoked manner, attacked the United States. And we went to war. You know, if Israel is going after Hamas, these terrorists, why are we as the United States being so hypocritical, so many people, and saying we should not go after them when on 9-11... 
when terrorists attacked our country, what did we do? We went after them. Why? To protect our nation. We cannot leave that unopposed, and neither can Israel. Now, just like I would believe and stand for, I believe that our American forces want to keep casualties of innocent civilians to the bare minimum. I believe Israel does too. I can't speak for them, but I would believe that to be true. I would trust that to be true. And they have every right to go after these enemies who have such an unprovoked and vicious, aggressive way, desiring, I believe, to incite all of Israel's enemies to attack at this time and wipe out Israel. And folks, we need to pray for Israel and stand with them because God has given them the promised land. But listen to this argument. And they possessed, Israel possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok, from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord of God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites before this people Israel. Shouldest thou possess it? Wilt thou not possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? That was kind of a challenge, by the way. So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. And now thou, art thou uh, anything better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and in her towns and in Aurora and her towns and in all the cities that be along the coast of Arnon 300 years? Why therefore did ye not recover them within that time? And so what he's saying is here, they wanted to come and attack and they wanted to reclaim this territory. And this judge in Israel says, no, we're going to bring out an army to withstand you. This is our territory. We have stood in possession for it for 300 years. When, when we first fought our enemies and conquered this land and possessed it, you did not seek any kind of peaceful means or military means to reclaim that land. We've had it for 300 years and you've let it alone. Now you're picking a fight with us? You ever hear nine possession is nine-tenths of the law? I think the tenth tenth uh, for Israel is that God's the one who dispossessed the enemies and gave Israel that land. And he gave that as part of their everlasting inheritance. And all of these nations and all these different people and, and people that are not nations, that are terrorist groups that want to claim that they are nations, claim that they have ancient roots going way back and that they actually truly should possess the land of Israel. Why did they not possess it in all these years past? Israel should be on that land which God promised, and he promised it as an internal inheritance. Next point, God's great commission began in Israel to the Jews. I, I want to attack a fallacy tonight. There is a fallacy that has been used by the Roman Catholic Church, and it's been used by many countries in Western Europe, including Nazi Germany in World War II. That fallacy is this. The Jews crucified our Savior. They're enemies of Christians. Therefore, we have the right to be their enemies. And even to destroy them. That is fallacy. And I want to show you from Scripture the opposite. We've been studying through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, what's the great commission? Where does that start? And Jesus says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Where? Both in Jerusalem and in Judea. Who lives in Jerusalem and Judea? Jews or Gentiles? Jews. And in Samaria, part Jews. And unto the uttermost part of the earth, we know the gospel is also for the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 2, it is recorded in verses 36 to 41. Therefore, Peter preaches, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is Messiah. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, 
Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now listen to this carefully. For the promise is unto you and to your children. That's not just two generations. He's talking about that in perpetuity. To your offspring, to the generations that follow. This is the promise. And to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And there the same day there were added, three, about, uh, added unto them about 3,000 souls. The church started with the Jews. Christ's true, true church, made up of true born-again believers, then appreciates and honors the fact that Messiah came through Israel. And that God loves and saves the Jewish people. Even the Apostle Paul, who was the Apostle to the Gentiles, says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. He said, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And who was it that were some of his greatest enemies? Who, was the, who were the ones who persecuted the early church? Even in Acts chapter 5, when Peter and the apostles preached the gospel, the Sanhedrin brought them in, hauled them in, and warned them. They did in chapter 4 and said, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They went back out and they did. And in chapter 5, they were beaten for that. And the apostles went out praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the church's greatest enemies in the early church were uh, those who were hardened in unbelief. You, we've been even looking at that in Iconium. Remember that the Jews that had heard the gospel, some, many believed. And of the God-fearing Gentiles, many believed. But some were steadfastly hardened in unbelief. And remember that they left one city and traveled almost 100 miles to persecute Paul and Silas and to attack the gospel. And yet, Paul never lost his heart and desire to see his Jewish brethren saved. Folks, God's still saving Jewish people. And we ought to have a heart and we ought to desire and pray for God to save them. And then the next statement, statement number five, God's plan of salvation came through the Jews. John 4, verses 21 to 23 Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We, Jesus speaking as a Jew, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Through the nation of Israel, Jesus came. Through the nation of it, to who? To what nation was the Old Testament word of God given? The Jews. And the law was given. And Paul tells us, why was the law given? To be our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. To show us that we are sinners. And that we cannot make ourselves righteous. That it is impossible for us to meet God's demands of holiness. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, came to this earth lived a perfect sinless life, totally fulfilled the law which we have totally broken and died on the cross willingly, shedding his blood as the payment for our sin. He died, was buried, and rose again. 
He is the living Son of God. And to all, Jew and Gentile, the offer of the gospel stands. And the gospel offered to the Gentiles and to the Jews stands throughout the rest of time in human history. In Romans chapter 11, Paul uses the illustration of a tree and of grafting in. I just want to make some, a few points. You could, there's, I could probably preach two or three messages just from this passage of Scripture. But we'll keep this in focus tonight. And if some of the branches be broken off, he's talking about Israel, picturing Israel as a, an olive tree. Not a wild olive tree, but an actual cultivated, fruit-bearing olive tree. A good tree, we would call it. If some of the branches be broken off, that would be those Jews who are in unbelief. And thou, being a wild tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not thyself against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Without the law, without Israel, without Messiah coming through the nation of Israel, we have no connection to God. And so, it is not we that are the root, but Israel. We are the branches grafted in. Man, the grace of God. Remember how hard it was for many of the Jews to believe that the Gentiles could receive the gift of eternal life without first going through the rite of circumcision and entering into the covenant to put themselves under the law of Moses? Remember, we've been looking at that in, in Acts chapters 14 and 15. And yet God very clearly declared that salvation is only through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not through circumcision and it is not through keeping the law. It is not being under the law, the covenant of the law. It is by grace we are saved through faith. Now we'll say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, or yes, that's accurate. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And now standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. And then later in the passage in verse about 24, 23 and 24. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. It's a fallacy to say that because the Jews have rejected Christ, they will not trust him. Many Jewish people trust Christ. Hey, folks, are there a lot of Gentiles who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Does the offer of salvation still stand for the Gentiles? Are Gentiles still being saved? Are Jews still being saved? Yes. God's plan of salvation came through the nation of Israel and through the Jews. And then Paul reasons by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. God saves Jews. Matter of fact, we know a number of people that are missionaries to Jewish people to share with them the wonderful good news that Jesus Christ is Messiah. And it's always a delight to me to hear in those newsletters of those who have turned from darkness to light, from death to life, from trusting in a system of good works and religion to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then last of all, God's prophetic plan includes Israel. Is Israel going to be destroyed in the next few months? No. 
Even if Israel were to lose much of the actual physical land of the promised land and be scattered, guess what? That's happened before. And God has preserved his people and brought them back again. And he will. Listen to this in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David. Who's that? Jews or Gentiles? Jews. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jews. The spirit of grace and of supplications. Again, this is prophecy, of course. And they, who's that in the context here? Israel, the Jews, shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Compare this. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. Who's that? The Jews, the nation of Israel, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Those who pierced him will look on him. Israel will be around when the King of kings and Lord of lords comes back at the end of the seven years of the tribulation to conquer the nations of the earth and to defeat Antichrist and to set up his thousand-year millennial reign on earth. And many in Israel, most of Israel, will believe on Christ as their Messiah and the whole nation of Israel will enter into the millennial reign of Christ. Folks, I am not saying that the United States of America is not going to be around when all of that happens, but we're not in prophecy. But Israel is. And therefore, let me reiterate these points with you. God blesses those who pray for Israel's prosperity. Let me challenge you to choose to do that. God established Israel as a nation. God gave Israel the promised land. God's great commission began in Israel to the Jews. God's plan of salvation is through the, came through the Jews. And God's prophetic plan includes the Jews or includes Israel. And so I think it ought to be very clear to us that our stance is for Israel. Now, do we pray for the poor, innocent victims that are in harm's way as Israel takes care of her business with her enemies? Sure we do. Should our hearts be filled with compassion for them? Yes. Should we desire to see them saved? Yes. We should even pray for the conversion of Hamas. Boy, wouldn't that wipe out Hamas? (laughs) If they all repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, do you think they'd be attacking Israel? No. You think they'd be doing all this wickedness? No, they'd be a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to pray for the salvation of the terrorists. You say, impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither ear heavy that he cannot hear. If God can save Paul, who termed himself the chiefest of sinners, God can save terrorists. And God can save Jews, and God can save Gentiles. And we are inextricably linked as Christians with the nation of Israel. Let us support them. Let us love them. Let us help them. Let us pray for their prosperity. Shall we bow our heads? Father, in a world of confusion and social media, where so many people just make choices based on their own experience, the experience or the claims of others, whether founded or unfounded. We do not go by our experience. We do not go by the claims of others. We go by your word. And we allow your word to dictate our positions. 
And though our hearts are bleeding for the poor people of Gaza who are being used as human shields by Hamas, and as Israel roots out those terrorists who are enemies, not only to the people of Israel, but to the world, and how easily, Lord, that is forgotten, we pray that you would give Israel victory. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would comfort the families of those in Israel who've lost loved ones, even as a young lady 20 years old from our area here in Georgia, in the Israeli military, was attacked and stabbed to death by a terrorist last week, and her funeral was this week. We pray, Lord, for comfort for that family. We pray for comfort for the families of those in Gaza who've lost loved ones uh, in this war. And we pray that souls would be saved and you would be glorified in all that's going on in the Middle East. We also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, both in Ukraine and in Russia, that they would be salt and light and that they would take these opportunities in these tumultuous times to display the love and the joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And only your supernatural grace can enable a believer to do that. And then, Lord, may they share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and save many through this conflict. And that which Satan intends to cause great evil and harm and to destroy not just lives but souls. Oh, Lord, would you conquer Satan and would you redeem many people throughout these regions of the world. Help us as believers to choose to stand with Israel. And, Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of our leaders in, of our country to choose to stand strong with Israel. Lord, we are not enemies. We want to be enemies with anybody. We want uh, to share the gospel with them. We know Satan is the enemy behind uh, all of this hatred and evil. And we pray, Lord, that he will, we know that he will someday be finally conquered. And we rejoice in that. Even now, Lord, give victory to Israel. Protect them. Protect our nation. May we stand strong in our alliance with her. And Lord, may you receive the glory for our gracious, humble, but clear stance. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Pastor Mike will dismiss us in a closing chorus. Let's stand 572. Number 572, he the pearly gates. Amen.